listening to a podcast from Light FM. Unlocking the secret to better parenting. This is Growing Pains on the Light Breakfast. And today we're talking about the orchid and dandelion theory with our resident child psychologist, Katiana Azman. Katiana, the first thing we want to find out as we jump into this topic today is take us to the concept of orchid and dandelion kids. What what does it mean? To be completely honest, I think that this is definitely a new description because mm-hmm. I've never heard of it, honestly. Okay. But what I imagine it might be is sort of similar to what we used to call like the strawberry generation of kids, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the orchid kids, which I imagine are very hardened, very sort of tough and easily unaffected. Oh, it's the, flip, it's the other way around, actually, apparently. Is Dan- it? The, the dandelion, you picture delicate, it, I imagine. An orchid would seem yeah. to be a stronger plant, right? Yeah, whereas you have dandelion kids where, you know, or dandelions, you blow on them and they, you right, know. So right. I kind of imagine it that way. I could yeah. be wrong. Okay, so yes. So when it comes to this description or, or categorizing of a child, an mm. orchid or a dandelion child, how does a person then know whether mm. the child is which, which one the child which is? The right. Yeah, which- to be honest, I've always been slightly wary of these descriptions like I said I think Mm. before this it was that you know they called the Gen Z's very much a strawberry generation or the the snowflake generation there were all these terms that were kind of coined and I'm always very wary because it kind of paints everybody with a very broad brush right you will have quote unquote dandelion kids who are a little bit more sensitive Mm -hmm. be very very resilient when it comes to certain things Mm -hmm. and you will have these orchid kids who require in your mind very little maintenance and upkeep also be very very impassioned and very easily triggered over certain things right. so I think it's kind of difficult to very clearly plonk them in each category and also it can manifest in very different ways so you might have for example and I think this goes back to sort of just what is also socially acceptable according to gender roles I mm. think that you might often see upset manifest in tears and stuff with girls mm-hmm. um, and so parents will go oh you know that she's crying all the time she's you know easily saddened and things like that and right. that can kind of park her within the dandelion category for mm-hmm. example um, but then you might have some boys who don't give in to their emotions via tears they would give in to their emotions maybe via anger and so you might not then think oh this is a very gentle you know delicate child this might be someone who is a little bit more hardened a little bit more you know sort of aggressive is the wrong word but a little bit more kind of confrontational mm. that seems more orchid like to me and right. so as such I don't need to really sugarcoat my words I don't really need to be very mindful of their feelings so Mm -hmm. I think you also have to be very very thoughtful of the fact that you know upset can come out in very different ways Mm -hmm. so it might be very tricky to kind of very clearly park kids in either of these brackets right these like these words pop up every now and then as almost Mm -hmm. like a fad way of of terminology and then you see everyone using it and then it pops up which is why we thought it would be a good idea to definitely bring it up to you to see what your opinions are on even using these types of categories to define what a mm. child or how a child feels, right? When it comes to, let's say, the the child who is highly sensitive, how do we adapt everyday parenting to accommodate whether mm. our kids are highly mm. sensitive or not? First, the determining mm. of that, and then mm. how do we accommodate that child? Especially in some cases where this might be the second child that comes along, a parent may not be accustomed 
to dealing with or having the patience perhaps as required in yes. uh, this particular situation, right? I, you know, I think I, I tell parents as much as humanly possible, and I know this is easier said than done, but mm. as much as humanly possible, you want to go into each child or after having each child with as much of an open mind as possible. Two kids from the same household are not necessarily going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So you might have had a first child who was a lot less bothered by things and right. then you have a second child who is highly sensitive. Highly sensitive again can kind of appear in a couple of ways. The first could be emotionally sensitive. So these are kids who would cry very easily, get upset very easily. They might tend to cling on to certain comments that you have made or other people have made. So you could say for example like, well I'm just trying to draw from from, from conversations I've had recently mm. but you know for example like a child that I worked with recently had a teacher say, oh you're so quiet. Mm. And there was obviously no insult meant to that. It was more just that the child is a little bit more quiet and shy in school Mm, and the mm. child got very upset saying all the teacher says that I'm too quiet there's something wrong with me and so it's going down the rabbit hole that way and they tend to cling on to certain phrases that they might hear and so you know when you are as a parent or as you know extended family often you know make comments about the child or kind of crack jokes here and there you Mm -hmm. know without meaning to be malicious the child might hold on to them a lot easier so that is more sort of the emotionally sensitive child so parents often describe feeling like they kind of have to walk on eggshells and be a little bit more careful Mm. with how they interact the other version could be just a child is also highly sensitive from a sensory perspective so you Mm. would have a child who is very sensitive to noises very sensitive to smells and foods and things like that right Mm. so that would be in my perspective a way to identify children who are quote unquote highly sensitive Today we're talking about the orchid and dandelion theory with our resident child psychologist, Katiana Azman. Katiana, how do we adapt everyday parenting to accommodate a kid that is more highly sensitive? How you deal with them really depends on what the child is trying to communicate, right? Because remember that all forms of upset are all forms of communication. Your child's trying to describe to you that they're not happy about something. So we just kind of want to take their lead. When I say that, I do not mean give in Mm -hmm. because, of course, we do not want the child to then learn that everything that upsets you. I have to avoid and that I have to kind of run away from. It also sets a really, really bad standard if you have other children in the home who might not be as sensitive. Mm -hmm. They might then feel like the world revolves around this particular sibling. Because there's a point Um, of comparison in this case already. Exactly. So you have to be really, really thoughtful over how you deal with it. So I would say, you know, and, and this applies to everything in psychology when I work with kids, I would always say validate what's going on. So recognize that the child is sensitive recognize that this stimulus or this conversation or whatever is triggering them Mm -hmm. right but then have find a way to help them cope right right so you don't necessarily want to avoid you can avoid the situation to help diffuse it so the child is really upset Mm. remove them from the space you know give you know give them a cuddle whatever it is that would comfort them Mm -hmm. but then Use it as a learning opportunity the minute they've calmed and go, okay, so you know just now when you got really, really upset, the next time, what can we do different so that doesn't happen, right? right? So we kind of want to address it so the child learns that it's not something that I need to run from all the time. In the situation where there are two children in the home and one Mm. child is a certain way and the other is less sensitive or more sensitive, in which case they are opposites in Mm. this particular incident, let's say. Then when it comes to speaking to a child about what they're going through, let's say you're speaking Mm. to the sensitive child, do Mm. you want to have the other child there for that conversation? Mm. Like, how how do you do you want to have it so that you're only speaking to one child at a time? Because it would be different conversations that you're having with both of these children. Mm. So would it be better to have 
private conversations when dealing with whatever they're going through or have them both there so that they both understand what the other is going through? I would say kind of the second actually, hmm. right? Because I feel like it's important for the kids to recognize that everybody is being treated the same way, even though you might want to adopt certain subtleties with different children based on sort of their personalities and things. Right. But I think that it's important for kids to learn that there is no double standard, right? Mm. That's usually where the root of a lot of sibling rivalry comes from hmm. is when they believe that one child is getting privileges or benefits that they themselves don't have. So even just down to how mom and dad might speak to them or how mom and dad might deal with a crisis, right? I have so many kids who will tell me that because they have a sibling who tends to have tantrums or is a little bit more sensitive, mom and dad are always comforting that child. But mm. when this particular child has made even just a small error, mom and dad will snap at them, right? right? And they are very keenly aware of that even from as young as five years old. Mm. So I would say to parents, it's important for kids to recognize that while we all have different personalities, the goals are always going to be the same, right? right? So even though this child might be triggered, we address the fact that the child is triggered, but we still try to have them kind of get on the same path. Right. And while you might not sugarcoat and coddle the less sensitive child, you are right. still directing them towards the same thing. So I feel like they kind of need to see that, you know, that it's mm, not that mm. abang or kaka or adi or whoever right. in the situation gets a pass just because they're more sensitive, but that it's something that you are helping them address as well and you could even rope the other child into it and be like you know you know your sibling does find these things difficult but mm, you mm. don't and that's really cool so maybe you can help your sibling figure out how it doesn't scare you they can kind of feel a little bit of autonomy and investment in that so that that way they don't kind of begrudge or resent that sibling for getting mm. uh, different treatment right so I think that you know it is important for our kids to recognize that we're all different and we all deal with things differently and that is completely okay mm. we are not expecting you to be identical just because you're siblings but at the same same time, you know, we want you to know that, you know, the rules and the expectations and our hopes are all the same and you're not going right. to be getting different ones just because you find things easier or harder to do. Thank you so much, Katiana. All these different new theories to come up that, you know, helpfully hmm. explain things better to us parents in terms of how we can help our kids better. You can listen to all of our Growing Pain sessions again on the Light Breakfast podcast. That's on the Shock app. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S-Y-O-K.